HHW presents Craven's Last Hunt by the Legion of Dudes. Ouch, something bit me. It was just a spider. Why do I feel so strange, so different? Now what's going on? My reflex action worked so fast I could hardly control it. And that steel lamppost, I snapped it in two with, with one punch. Something's happened to me. I have changed. But how? Why? I, I'm scaling this wall just as easily as I can walk. My fingers alone are adhering, supporting me. I'm like some sort of giant insect. Like a wall-crawling human spider. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of... Dude, dude. Dude, dude. Dude. Is dudeness suitor El Dudorino? Dude, 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 Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Excelsior! <laughs> Craven the Hunter has spent his life dedicated to the hunt. In a world deemed uncivilized to his noble Russian heritage, Craven has found nobility in the primal, in the hunt. He has captured and made himself the master of all creatures save one. The only one who he could not prove he is better than, Spider-Man. Now an aging Cravenoff plans to prove he is the better before his time here has ended. So begins Craven's Last Hunt. My name is Ken Morgan and welcome to this installment of the Legion of Dudes. I'm joined by my fellow panelists and legionnaires. Introduce yourself, guys. This is John. This is Russell. This is Adam. And also, as our extra special guest, we have one of our uh, benefactors, our host from the great podcast Half Hour Wasted, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brad Milo. I look like Scott. Please <laughs> don't feel a little bit jumpy. Oh, is it the uh, Star, uh, Starman discussion? <laughs> oh, oh Spider-Man. Oh, yes, I'm here. How you guys doing? We're doing great, Brad. How are you doing? I'm great. I couldn't be, uh, couldn't be better. Awesome. Thank you for having me on your show, on your little show. Thank you for having us as part of your little show. I'm happy to do it, and uh, I like your show, so why wouldn't I want to be associated with it? Do you like the episodes more when um, you, Mac, is not on it? Do you find that? We hear that a lot. Yes, because I can understand 100% of what people say as opposed to half of what people say when you max on those episodes. <laughs> so we're not as smart as him, but we're more fun. You're easier to understand. <laughs> Much easier to understand. <laughs> I love Adam. We all love Adam. He's a good kid. All right, so we are here talking about the storyline Craven's Last Hunt. This is, um, for all intents and purposes, this is the first 
uh, story I've ever purchased as a comic book buyer. First story I've collected uh, way back. It was October and November of 1987. It was a, a six-part story told uh, across the three titles, the three Spider-Man titles of the time. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, number 293 and 294. Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 131 and 132. And Web of Spider-Man, number 31 and 32. As I discussed briefly, it deals with uh, the relationship of Craven the Hunter uh, and Spider-Man, a, at the time, now newlywed Spider-Man, and bringing their relationship to a conclusion of sorts to um, finally determine who is who is the better man. And it, it was really affected me. It was a really great uh, dark story for what I expected from a Spider-Man story. I don't know, maybe we can, how we want to do this, we want to go around the room and talk a little bit about our reaction to the book first, or do we want to jump right in? I think we could do that. I'd like to say that I only read this a few months ago. I picked up the hardcover because all the commotion that One More Day had caused, a lot of the thing that I kept hearing, including from Brad on the Half Hour Wasted show, was that, you know, are you telling me that Craven's last hunt never happened? And that seemed to, like, really anger people, so I figured it was a story that I should probably read. And um, it was definitely darker than any Spider-Man that I've ever read, and uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, uh, I read it for the first time about a year ago, actually, right around this time last year. And to be quite honest, I read a lot of Spider-Man in the 90s, but I, I had not read this at all. And when I read it the first time, I didn't really like it all that much. I actually read the whole thing again today and uh, was drawn into it a lot more than I was uh, that first time. Well, I picked it up as it was being published. Uh, I picked, you know, picked it up every week. And I wanna, you know, was it three weeks out of the month? You know, it was a real treat to be able to follow a story like that. Because at the time, you know, the three different books obviously were not intertwined, and this was, I believe, one of the first times that Marvel had ever done something like this crossing over between the three books of, of one particular character's collection of books. You know what I mean? Um, I just remember being totally and completely blown away by this story. Cause like one of you guys said, it was like, it was unlike any Spider-Man story I had ever read. Spider-Man was happy go lucky, but this was so different, so dark. The very first page of the very first issue, Web of Spider-Man number 31. It's it's that full splash page of Kraven crouched down amongst all the stuffed animals, the trophies, and I knew as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be, this is totally different. It's funny that you say that because I was, the first thing I wondered was, was Spider-Man different then than what I knew because I was expecting the jokes and the, you know, the little quips and and the goofiness so immediately when reading this, you know, I wasn't reading Spider-Man in the 80s. So I was wondering, was he different then, and was it a change that came later on? But I guess from what you're saying, this the book was totally off of what, you know, it was usually like to read his book. Yeah, this, this, the feel of this story really came out of nowhere. Do you guys have the, the, the most current hardcover? Not, not the hardcover that came out in 1989, but the, the one that was published a couple years ago? The premier yeah, hardcover? Yeah, um, yeah. There is a introduction by the author J.M. DeMatteis, and he talks about how the story came to be. And he he mentions when he was. Let's see. Let me just read this sentence. Let's just say I was in a period of my life where each day was a Herculean struggle. 
I felt as buried alive as Peter Parker, as much a dweller in the depths as vermin, as lost, as desperate, as shattered as Sergei Kravinov. And you can totally tell that this story, the guy writing this story was going through some amazingly hard times in his life. It's totally reflected in this. Well, let me, let me ask this. Was, does, does that passage uh, talk about the dark time in his life refer specifically? Was it his personal life, professional, a little bit of both? Like, does, like what part of his life was really getting him down, or where was it, where was it coming from? Um, it was his personal life. Okay. It, it, let me back up another sentence. It says, my personal life had gone to hell in the proverbial handbasket. So um, who knows what was going on? Maybe divorce. I know um, I went through a divorce. I know how stressful it is, and uh, perhaps that's what uh, was happening to him. I'm speculating at this point. I don't know, but I almost don't want to know. If somebody could write a story like this, uh, I don't think I'd want to know what he was going through. Yeah, absolutely. Just to get a idea, since I I personally just, just am reading this for the first time, just pulling it out of not knowing what went on before and really not knowing too much what went on after. Uh, things like the black Spider-Man costume, is that uh, before it became Venom, or is that just the regular costume? Yeah, the black Spider-Man costume came out of the Secret Wars miniseries, and... You could say that the reason he went back to the red and blues was because of Venom. At one point, he discovers that the the black costume is actually a living symbiote. He has uh, Dr. Richards help him remove it, and he still likes the look of it, so he creates a cloth one, a cloth black and white one. Wasn't this version given to him by the black cat? I honestly don't remember. It's possible. I don't remember that point. Obviously, the alien symbiote escaped, bonded with Eddie Brock, and became Venom. And uh, that first appearance of Venom in that in that black suit really freaked out Mary Jane, which basically forced Peter Parker to give up the black and go back to the red and blue. Yeah, this is in between that time, obviously, as you're saying. So, you said earlier he's he's freshly married. He's a newlywed here. Mm-hmm. Russ, what was your experience with uh, reading this the first time? The thing that, that really jumped out at me was the art. I, I thought the art and the coloring um, in this book were, was just fantastic. Um, the covers were were out of this world as well. Um, you know, I just read it for the first time last weekend. I, I've been I, at the time I was kind of reading Spider-Man on and off. I would kind of come in and come out, so I was kind of familiar with you know this time in his in his history and and what was going on. Um, but yeah, you definitely right off the bat noticed that, um, you know, the, the, the joking animated, you know, Spider-Man was, was gone for this story at least. Um, and it definitely had, had such a darker tone. And this is one of those that I've been wanting to read for a long time and just for whatever reason never did. So, um, I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit, a lot more than I thought I would really. As far as the art's concerned, did, did y'all say this came out over the course of two months? Yep. Is that so? That's kind of interesting. I, I believe the arts. Is it all by one person? Exactly. I was just going to say that point. Um, of course, Demetrius wrote it, but it was penciled by Mike Zek and inked by Bob McCloud. All not, and they all stuck with the whole storyline. So all six issues across three titles over two months. So basically six six weeks across eight weeks. Um, this this book came out with the same creative team through the whole thing. Wow. 
Yeah, exactly. What, now, it was just two months. I mean, so it's not like they were had to sustain it very long. Still. Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they had um, started working on it a few months prior. Oh, no doubt. I mean, they, they would have had to. Like like you said, Reed, the, the art in this is just amazing. At the back of this hardcover, you can see Mike Zek's pencils. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, the guy almost inked himself by filling in the blacks, and it's just, it's just incredible. It's with it being such a darker story. I I love how uh, the use of shadow and across the whole book is great, uh, just for giving that mood. Um, of course, there. I mean, a lot of the scenes are at night, but uh, it's just it's amazing. Anything else you want to jump into the issues? Yeah, let's start it up. All right, so issue issue number one, and I I am actually reading this off of my original issue, so I'm I broke them out over the weekend, and they're they're still pretty white pages, and I'm actually not liking that I have them out like this long. <laughs> uh, but as Brad described, the first page we have an image of of Craven the Hunter in his trophy room, trying to become one with the spider, and it just simply says, "I am Craven." And uh, you know, as we go through, we have a uh, he, he's literally. You know, attacking his his trophies. You know, just becoming this this beast, this rage, and interspersed throughout the entire, actually the ne- the entire three ish- next three issues, or really the whole series, is images of this graveyard. And uh, jumping ahead to page three, we see the grave digger digging this grave out, and we'll see that that piece be played out throughout the entire entire six books. And that, I think um, actually, in it, it it we never actually see him in. In issue number five, I could be wrong, but I don't think the Gravedigger ever appears in issue number five, which I thought was interesting. Since you were reading this as it came out, um, the, the first thing I, I wondered when reading this first issue was, were, were these things that they allude to in this issue, did they happen immediately before this story arc started coming out? You know, like, for instance, the funeral um, for Joe Face. Joe Face? Right. Did that happen like soon before this in in Spider-Man issues? Was it a direct lead in? I don't. Think I don't believe it did. I think the first time you ever heard of Joe Face was in this issue here. Yeah, I think Joe Face just was meant to indicate, you know, the the generic criminal of the day, and you know, he was a, I guess an informant for Spider-Man. That's why he came and paged his own tribute to him. Uh, I don't remember that being part of any story. Another right character on. who's re- re- referenced in this in this book and throughout the the series is Ned Leeds. Now that was something that was uh, take that was dealt with very very close to the story. That was when he had been uh, revealed as the original Hobgoblin, which of course we know now was not the case. But at, at that time, he was um, he was framed. He was to, yeah, he was supposed to have been the Hobgoblin, right? And even like the fact that um, you know Craven has his own black Spider-Man suit. You know, I was just wondering like if he had gotten one before this issue somewhere, or if that's just kind of stuff that they threw in at the beginning to to start the series off. I don't think the um, suits ever explained why he already has one. Well, it obviously is because he's been planning on yeah on this this adventure. You know, his whole deal is Spider-Man has always bested him. That's why he involves vermin in later issues. It took me a while when I when I was you know first read this I was 
when did this come out? 87? 87. I was 16 or 17. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I was still a kid. And it took me a while, uh, first off, <laughs> a funny story, to realize that those were not live animals at the beginning that Craven was uh, killing. <laughs> you know, the first couple of read-throughs, I thought, wow, he's actually punching the head off of a gorilla. That's pretty <laughs> And then, like I said, it, it, it took me a while to figure out why he had to involve vermin. I, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. I was like, well, that just seemed kind of odd, them to bring this in. But then, of course, it finally occurred, it, you know, it finally clicked with me as I, as I, you know, grew older and got more mature. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a similar reaction. Yeah, I, I, did, I felt vermin was, out of place there, but the more I read it, the more I realized, you know, where he came from and what, what his significance was. Yeah. Well, I'll be happy to hear you guys talk about that because I don't know why Vermin's there. Well, I mean, I know why he's there, but, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, I guess. Okay. I think with one of, another thing to point out is with one of, uh, with Spider-Man, one of Marvel's mainstream, or most uh, important characters becoming such so dark in this story, it's uh, kind of interesting that uh, Batman at DC was going through the same thing with Frank Miller around the same time. There's a lot going on in 86, 87 regarding dark stories in comics. Batman, right. Watchmen, this. The, yep. the original idea for this story, um, according to J.M. Demetrius' introduction, uh, about 1984, 1985, the idea for this, it was rejected the first few times. So I think the... You know, the dark stories that, that were approved by editors that you guys just mentioned, I think that may have had something to do with the editor at the time going, okay, let's do this story. It is darker, but let's do it. Is he actually pumping spiders into that room? Or is this like a hallucination of his or something? I was never clear on that myself. If it was a reaction to the herbs and the drugs he was taking, or if they, they, he really was being attacked and immersing himself as spiders. I would think that it's probably a hallucination because it's quite similar to the hallucination that uh, Peter Parker has a, a few issues later. Yeah, that's um, what he, I that's what I had thought, and what threw me off was I'm looking at page 16 on the in the hardcover in the Prestige. There's those two vents in the room. You know, like it looks like the whole page. It looks like it's that all white hallucination oh, yeah, setting you know what? like they use later on. Yeah, but that one panel has those two open vents. And spiders—they're coming out of that, yeah. Right, and it's that's showing the actual room, you know, not the all-white hallucination setting. Like you could see the ceiling tiles and the walls and everything. Right. I always took it as he was actually in a room full of spiders, and that it wasn't a hallucination. Is that a word? Hallucination. <laughs> uh, you know, the dude's crazy. He's literally insane. And why wouldn't you want to, if you're trying to? become the spider and trying to best Spider-Man, why wouldn't you eat a bunch of spiders? You know, in your crazy mind, that might make sense. And later on, when he's doing his his, uh, his whole monologue and exposition of what he did, he talks about how he uh, you know, he fe- feasted on his prey, you know, in, you know, spiders and wore the skin of his the skin of his prey, so rather than actually wearing the the, the hides of the animals, he's wearing Spider-Man's costume. So this this is the the symbolism of him eating the flesh of his uh, of his prey. I like how in this first issue, we get to see, especially with Spider-Man, how he's got two streams of thoughts going at the same time. 
Uh, one, he's like a page 19 of the hardcover. I'm sorry, I don't know what issue that's, uh, what page that's going to be for you, Ken. But that's fine. The one, it's the one with where he's next to the billboard where you see the little raid. Yep, I'm there. Up. Yeah. Um, see, he's got the yellow boxes, which is like him reasoning out what's mm-hmm. going on. Exactly. And the red boxes, that other stream of thought that's going through his mind where he's just scared out of his mind. And we're going to see that with uh, several characters, not only Spider-Man. We'll see it with Mary Jane. We'll see it with Vermin. Um, I don't think we're going to see it with Craven. I think he's always pretty much in control of what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I really enjoyed how J.M. Demetrius did that with several of the characters. Because, you know, I recognize that in my own life. I'm trying to think of one thing and have a, you know, a, a thought party in my head, but then there's that uninvited guest that keeps coming in and saying these other things. Yep, whispering in your ear, that devil, the devil on the other, side, the other shoulder. And I take it back, there is a sub part where Craven's going to do that. He's questioning what he's doing to a degree. The way the chapter one ends with that poem, I, I forgot to do research on this, and I know it's a real poem, but they mm-hmm. changed the word. Was it the, tiger? The tiger. Tiger, yes. What, does any, did anybody research that poem? Well, I know that it's in Watchmen. Is it really? Yes, it is. In the, in the symmetry issue of uh, Watchmen, I believe, right? Is it five or is it six that we find this poem? I think it's five. Yeah, I think it's the five. one with all the symmetry and all the mirror images and stuff, right, Russ? William Blake. Yes, yes William Blake. The tiger. Tiger, tiger. tiger, tiger, burning, burning bright. bright. In the force of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? When I first read that read- when I was 16 or 17, I read it like could frame thy fearful symmetry. And I was like, <laughs> what is that word, symmetry? And then it occurred to me, oh, it doesn't have to rhyme. Yeah, and fearful fearful symmetry is also the other name this entire storyline is, is known as, is fearful symmetry. Yeah, it's not underdog. It doesn't have to rhyme. <laughs> See, Brad thought we were going to get away from Watchmen just for one one episode, oh. and, and it can't be done. Can't do it. You know, it, it really can't be because I was already thinking that, that for uh, for issue five. So Ken, when you when you read that that first issue, and you saw Craven shoot Peter, you saw him put him in the grave. What'd you think? Um, I I wanted more. I wanted to find out more what was going on. I I knew it was there was going to be another part of the story coming, but I'm like, did he just? No, he didn't. Yes, he did. And you see him actually going to the in the coffin and then into the grave. You know, it's it's a little bit off, but I I didn't, I don't know that I ever really believed um, Spider-Man was dead. I did, I just didn't know where it was going. The cover of the first issue says a special six-part saga, so you knew there were there was more to the story. Right. Right. How about you, Brad? What was your reaction? I remember feeling despair and hopelessness, just going, "How can this be? This can't happen to him," and yet here it is. And I, and I thought. He can't possibly be dead, can he? You know, at, at that point in my life, I wasn't, you know, I was pretty sheltered, you know, I, in my ways of thinking, and I just couldn't see past the moment. Like I said, with each issue of this, I remember just being totally, completely blown away. I don't remember which issue of this it was, but I remember when it came out, going to the comic book store, picking it up, it was lunchtime, so I went to a Taco Bueno of all places, sat there, and read it while I was eating my lunch. I just couldn't wait. So there was there was some build up to this series, or that you know, issue was you, out of the blue. 
Yeah, there, there was there was nothing. You know, you might have seen something in the in the in the previous issue of whatever book had been published. You know, the week before. Right. You know, uh, like just a because that's all you got back then was I mean, at the end of that issue, you looked at the back and it said it might say what was happening next issue. That's all you got. But like Ken said, it, this came out of the blue, out of nowhere. Because um, Craven's not even on the first cover. You know, you see the gun pointed at Spider-Man. Right. And that, when you first saw that, you're like, I mean, I, re- I remember being blown away by that cover, thinking, what is going on here? And feeling scared for him. Well, it's, it's kind of ironic, too, that Spider-Man ends up getting captured in, in a web. That actually yeah, is interesting, never, yeah. I never actually really thought of it that way, but that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, Craven basically captures him by ensnaring him in a web. And, you know, now that you say that, that's not that's definitely not by accident because he is trying to become the spider himself. So, of course, he wouldn't trap him with, with a web. I, yeah. I completely missed that that one. Right. And it, even if, if you look at it, well, you don't get a good look on the cover. But somewhere in the story, maybe it's vermin that gets netted. But his nets aren't like regular nets. They're shaped like spider webs. I mean, there's a, there is a difference, you know. A spider web has that center, you know, that spirals outward. So he's definitely using things that are more like webs than regular nets. Look at the top of page 23 in your hardcover, John. That may be the shot you're thinking of. Yep, yep, that's it. It looks like a spider web to me. Yeah. Okay, do we want to start up issue two? Yeah. We get another full splash page, at this time of the gra- of the gravestone, and also another... Um, symbol piece of symbolism that's going to be replay with the uh, with the rat on his uh, walking on his gravestone. That's going to be played out through the rest of the book. A rat, and then later a, a spider will find, or several. Um, and we have Craven in his Spider-Man costume, standing over the grave, almost in reverence until he just starts laughing like I've won. It's it's funny because you look at at the bottom of you know in the hardcover thirty-one where they show Craven in one panel he's kind of has like a frown on his face and the next panel he's smiling and laughing and if you go back to the end of the first part it's almost kind of the same thing where he's standing over the grave you know he looks kind of sad and somber in the one panel and the next panel he's kind of got this you know he's looking up grinning you know this huge grin on his face it's kind of this kind of get the that same in- thing going on that instability that insane factor mm-hmm. coming in yeah. Just that revelation that he's he's won, he's he's beaten Spider Man, he has he has killed him. But it, that wasn't enough for him. He needs the best of him, he needs to go out and be Spider Man. And he's going to do that, take his place. Craven Craven's been around since Amazing Spider Man number fifteen. Uh so he was one of he was one of Spider Man's first bad guys. So he's been beaten lots of times by Spider Man. So he's understandably tired of it. And throughout this 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 series, he talks about like he can't just be a man. He can't just be a man that he's able to beat me. No one else can do this. Why? Why, why is he he special? So he's thinking is mystic. He's thinking is magic. And I'm rereading this over the last week, and I'm reading those passages about. It. He's wondering who he is, and I'm thinking back to Straczynski's run, and he got a lot of grief over the spider totem and trying to make it more than just a simple spider bite that got him gave him his powers and I'm just wondering did, did Straczynski have any of this story in, in his mind about the, the 
the spider gods or the spider totem in his mind that um, to kind of bring that back, or that was just just a coincidence. I don't know Quite if possible. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else picked up on that. I hadn't, but now that you pointed out, it makes sense to me. It's quite possible he did, though. I think Straczynski has lots of reverence for what happened before, whenever in you know whatever book he's dealing with. So on the next page, we uh, we get the introduction of the character Johnny doesn't get. <laughs> I, I I get him. Again, I'll, I'll I'll talk about it later. It's really the last chapter that I that I have a problem with. But uh, this is our first look at him, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. When he pulls pulls the lady down through the manhole. Did anybody else in their first read through think this was Mary Jane? Yeah, I did until I turned the page. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, exactly. And I and partially because it it had been so long. I mean, at this time, I couldn't remember if they were if Mary Jane was drawn in a more traditional Mary Jane look, the classical Mary Jane look, or if 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 she had gone through an update phase. So at first I saw kind of the red hair, you know, with that stylish, you know, look, and, and yeah, I, my first thought was Mary Jane. Was it McFarlane who liked to draw her with, like, really big hair? Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because when I saw that look again, I mean, I it's been a while since I'd read it last, so I'm reading it again, and I'm like, and I know she gets taken by Venom eventually, but it was at this early, or not by Venom, by Vernum, Vermin. But was it this early? Because I'm seeing the hair, and I'm thinking of McFarlane's hair on her. Even though it wasn't very long, it was still had the curls to it. And then I turned the page, and I'm like, oh, no, that's right. It's not yet. I remember being scared reading this. What the heck is this? I mean, the guy, you know, he says yum. So obviously, <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. he's eating her. That's creepy. <laughs> this venom. Uh, venom. Jeez. Yeah, just... Does Vermin have a big Spider-Man uh, history, you know, predating this? Well... The reason he's in this story was because of his appearance in an old Captain America book where Spider-Man and Captain America, together, the two of them took down Vermin. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, GM, J.M. DeMatteis wrote that issue. Ah. Was writing Captain America at the time. And this is where this is why Vermin is included in this story, because... Craven realizes Spider-Man couldn't bring Vermin down by himself. He had to have the help of Captain America. So that's why Craven, posing as Spider-Man, goes after Vermin later in the story in order to bring the one guy down that Spider-Man could never do. Right. One more way that he's able to prove that he's the better. Yes. What, what They gave us enough in this story, because I didn't know Vermin's history either, that about the Captain America um, connection. Uh, what they didn't say was, well, did it happen in Amazing Spider-Man or did it happen in a Captain America title? Where did that actually happen? So thank you for adding that to it. Yeah, that was actually in the, in the uh, Captain America book itself. Well, I guess on page 38 in the hardcover, we see that room full of spiders. So I guess that answers the question. There actually is a room being pumped full of spiders. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, you see the glass in front of it as he's kind of crawling by, so yeah. yeah. And I think it's cool how Spider-Man, he crawls. Well, it's not Spider-Man, it's Kraven, yeah. but he's crawling He's crawling like a spider would. Yeah, and you can even see the difference. Like if you see on, again, my page aren't numbered the same, but the the previous page from where you're talking about with the spiders, when he's jumping uh-huh. through the, across the rooftops, one, obviously you don't see the webs, but in that fourth panel up on the top, 
he's not. You can clearly see he's not wall crawling with spiraling wood. He's scaling the wall the way a mountain climber would. Right, he's on the ledges. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so he's trying to mimic his powers, but he can't duplicate them. And there's again on the bottom of that page is is a uh, is our rat hovering around Spider-Man's grave. I'm not a fan of rats either. And on those previous two pages, when Mary Jane takes that boot and he she uh, beats that rat to death. You know, going back to Mary Jane's uh, sequence, it goes back to the that that inner inner dialogue with the two voices going on. In the back yes. of her mind, she knows she thinks she knows Peter's dead, and that's what we're seeing with the different colored uh, colored boxes there. So that method's appearing again, and we will see it with Craven in the sequence in the in the spider room. He's kind of questioning himself a little bit. It's only it's only brief, but it's there. Yeah. Why am I? Why am I doing this? There it is on the next page of after the uh, the glass pane. Yep, page that we talked about earlier, and so earlier in the book. Craven said something about how he's an old man now. I never understood that, but come to find out, Craven's been keeping himself young and rejuvenated by drinking potions and mm-hmm. taking herbs and things like that. And he knows that can't last forever. So that's why he's gotten to the point where he's obsessed with proving himself superior to Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I believe... I read at some point in this, or maybe it was some background I read, he's supposed to actually be about 70 at this point. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think, it's in the, I think it's in the actual book here. And then with that next page after he's taken that potion and he's broken the glass, I guess the, the glass is definitely, like you said, the, the spiders are there, but then he, it goes into a hallucination yeah, uh, with that next page. Yeah, that potion... That he took on the previous page is obviously making him hallucinate. Then you see the uh, the spider appear on that bottom frame. In the same frame was the rat crawling out of the grave. If you notice, yep. I don't know if it's reflected in your issues, Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the next page, Vermin's uh, Vermin's thought boxes are yellow as opposed to green, which they've been previously. Uh, the way it's colored in mine is it goes back between yellow and green. It's really? for the first three panels. It's they're green. Then for the uh, uh, the f- uh, fourth and fifth panel, all the fourth panel, it's it's yellow. It's like when he first sees the uh, the picture of Spider-Man in the newspaper. It's almost like his inflection changes, and that's kind of how I took it in this coloring change. And then it switches back to green again. Quite possible, whoever. Uh, oversaw the collection this version and I wish I had had my original hardcover with with me so I could compare the two but um I loaned that one to my brother the uh it's it's I'm wondering if the whoever oversaw this version thought that perhaps that was a mistake and said just color them all the same color right the, well um, on the next page they're green in the new sure hardcover are. yeah they're back to green and then the page after that they're back to yellow to give, to give oh. an example that um the page where he's remembering Captain America's name the top box, um, him, that other one, the nasty soldier, that's green, and then America, that's yellow. Again, I, I took it as a little, an, an inflection change at that point. Like on um, page 42 in the hardcover, when he's crawling up the steps, up the stairs to go out, he pulls the man, he pushes the manhole cover open. You can see his red eyes; they look creepy. Then he sees the spider, and they just just surprised. I, yeah. He's scared to right. death of that spider because yeah. he remembers 
he was talking earlier about how Spider-Man hurt him. Yep, the beatdown he got of him. I mean, he, he's that's why he doesn't want to go back up. He doesn't want to get hurt again. Right. It looks like in the reproduction here that I'm looking at on page 43, which is the page after the surprise look, Ken, uh, it looks like the actual reproduction of the page, the coloring is off, like uh, the black is off from the from the actual color part. I don't know if it shows that in the issue itself. I should have brought my issues, but I didn't. I don't see anything that you might be referring to there. Can you guys, with the hardcover, see what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. It just looks like, like the black ink has been shifted off of the color. It almost looks like ghosting issues. Maybe it's this particular printing of the book that I have. The, like the text in the box, you mean? It's like it's off, or or the backgrounds? No. Um, like, for instance, in the in the third panel where he slams the rat on the ground, mm-hmm. you can see the tail coming out of his left hand. Well, there's like a shadow of the color. It's just like uh, the color is off from the yeah. from the black. There's nothing like that in my original. Yeah, no, not in mine either. Maybe it's your print. It, yeah, it looks like the reg- registration's slightly off because the even the the word balloon that says "I," where it says "I said," and then he yells "quiet." The "I," the black is offset slightly on the bubble, and then sure the border, is. the border of the panel, there's a bit of white space between the the black border and then the, and then the the regular deal. Yeah, so it looks like maybe. The registration was a little off on the printing on this. Yeah, there's a the occasional page throughout where it does look almost like a subpar resolution, low resolution copy. Back in the newsprint days, that I mean stuff like that wasn't too uncommon at all. You know, registration errors. I can see what uh, you all are saying now a little bit, but I would never pick that stuff up. <laughs> It was mainly just a curiosity on my point, on my <laughs> part. Next page, we see Mary Jane. She can't sleep, so she goes out for a walk. And even she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just, you know, like, what, what, what am I going to do? Oh, hey, Spider-Man, your wife misses you. But like, she really knows she has no business out there, but a, a wife's going to do what she needs to do when her husband's missing. Uh, hey, I'll John, like, did you ever no, I have never had shorts, shorts like that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that's, 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 that's Brian Crispin, isn't it? Aren't those his socks? <laughs> it's it's the middle of the night in the pouring rain, and that guy's ready in case a basketball game breaks out. <laughs> hey, John, did you ever have any woman tell you to get stuffed? Uh, no, no, they were never that kind. <laughs> <laughs> On the next page, where Craven's hallucinating in a big way, right? Are all the boxes the same color? They're all. They they're all. You know, there's a subtle change. Um, they're mostly like a like an orange, like a yellow yellowish orange, but like but but what but what if those boxes are darker? Yeah, they all look the same in mine. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Again, for by what I'm seeing, they're supposed to be that that you know the back of your head voice, that subconscious sure. voice. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they're there's a subtle difference. It's not as not as obvious as the other ones, but it's there. It's one of the things I picked up through reading this too, and it's it's not in every instance, but it's in almost every instance. Whenever we cut to the grave, either the guy digging the grave or the rat on the grave, it's always or almost always at the bottom of the page, and it has that you know page width, you know panel. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's narrow, um, 
on there. Occasionally it's at the top, but it seems like even when it's not at the bottom, it still has that same shape. You know, we still get that. Yeah, the dimensions are always the same on that. It's always going to be that same aspect. Yeah, yeah. And I think these those pages, those scenes with the spider crawling out of the grave, that were my first kind of indications uh, for sure that, okay, he's not dead, he's coming back. I mean, that's just, and that's the other thing with the, with the symbolism. Uh, it, it just seems a little bit, not not so much too obvious, but it's really not as subtle as some of the symbolism we may have seen in other books. Not to bring up Watchmen again, this is what I was thinking of earlier, um, but like that the scene we're talking about the uh, uh, the, hand, the the watch that was broken uh, at Coney Island, you know, it was the watch was stepped on by a fat man. You know, that was a, a, I thought a subtle reference to um, Hiroshima. You know, and and the frozen hands. So certainly, I didn't. I didn't get it until we talked about it on our show. But here we have the spider crawling out of the grave. You know, it just seems so obvious that the spider's going to crawl out of the grave. We just didn't know which issue when. When at this point, or yeah. further on in in issue five, when Spider-Man is fighting with Venom, and it's cutting back and forth between the the the, the, the rat stalking the spider until finally the the rat takes out the spider, just as I keep saying Venom. Vermin jumps on. Uh, jumps on Spider-Man and really starts, starts to pound on him. It's just like, it's almost beating over the head, like, okay, yes, we get it, it's it's, it's obvious, fine, thank you. Um, I don't know if anybody else you know, saw that or not, or had a similar... Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I, it didn't bother me. Um, you know, I, I didn't get to the point where I said, alright, I get it, but I, I see it is kind of a simple uh, symbolism. I enjoyed that quite a bit, actually. You know, you have the thugs, we'll call them, even though they're just pick-up basketball players. You know, and Mary Jane's probably thinking, yes, you know, Peter, finally. And then he puts that guy's head through the wall and knocks that other guy out pretty good. Then she knows immediately that it's not him. Yeah, that was actually really good, just the way they did her reaction to it. It's like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm saved. And just her reaction, like she sees Spider-Man, she's like, she know, really just... Well done, seeing her reactions, but then watching her face change as he takes him out, like you're saying, that's just, really you could see the emotion in her face and the relief. And so and then it returned back to fear. When she sees him coming, yeah, the, you know, the guy's like, hey, what are you smiling about? I can hear her voice. It's almost sing-song, like, oh, nothing. Yeah. Like, you guys are in for it now. Yeah, Was and this... he totally lays into those guys. Yeah. Now... They were just married, you guys said, right? Yeah, they were newlyweds. So is this a point where they like really amped up their relationship or was it did it always seem this strong before? You know, this the, what I'm getting at is these six issues, they really play on the bond between the two of them. You know, was that something that really got amped up, you know, after the marriage or was that just kind of how their relationship was previously? Marriage was, it, it was almost forced. It happened a lot quicker than everyone involved would like would have liked it to have been. Um, they actually got married in the comic strip in the newspaper first, and then Marvel Comics decided, well, we if that's happening, we need to marry them off in the comic book. So it ha- it all happened very quickly. You know, up to up to that point, you know, they loved each other, but Mary Jane was unsure about marriage. And I think once they married him off, they just, from that point on, they just made him thick as thieves, you know, tight. Right, okay. 
Yeah, I think totally. they. I, th- I think they went out of their way to make up for the the rushed marriage to really show the the bond they have, as you called it, John, uh, to, to really show it off and really bring it uh, to make it obvious that they were meant for each other. Was anybody else jealous? Totally jealous of Peter Parker when he married Mary Jane. <laughs> <laughs> they actually. Uh, they did a stunt, not to get too far off topic, but here in New York, they got married on the field at Shea Stadium, yeah. which is in Queens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the last I'll ever say about the Mets on this show. But <laughs> <laughs> Vermin finally decides to uh, to come out. He says, I have to come out. I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. He says, I'm not afraid. Not one bit. So he's Finally got some some courage to come out. I like that first uh, splash page on uh, issue three with uh, Craven hanging upside down like Spider-Man would, except uh, you notice that he's got uh, what looks like to be a regular rope. A regular knotted rope, yeah. 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 That's pretty awesome. I also love um, on the cover, I don't know if this was common with Spider-Man in the black suit, but I love the use of the negative space. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, the tunnel is black. So rather than draw Spider-Man's shape at all, they just leave it all black, and then they just leave the eyes and the spider white. Yeah, that was something that I, I remember them doing quite a bit in the books I've read. They did it in issue one when he was uh, at the at the bar for uh, Joe Face. Yeah, I totally I, I, I agree. I mean, even before this Craven's Last Hunt story, I believe several of the art teams used that. Uh, that gimmick a lot. Well, all you saw was was the white of the costume. It's a great addition to the character because it it almost turns him into a more stealthy character. You know, instead of the red and blue and in your face, you know, now they've added the the factor of him being unseen. I mentioned before that this was like really the first comic I, the first story I collected. I had been reading Spider-Man for maybe a couple of months before this, um, but I really uh, reacted to that. I really was I reacted posit- positively to that because I started reading. I'm like, well, where's the red and blues? Cause I knew that from you know TV. That's about as much Spider-Man as I had at that point. But when I was reading, I'm like, no, I, I really like this new costume, and and that's exactly the reason why I liked it was that stealth aspect. It just seemed. Hey, if he's gonna be doing this stuff at night, why why do you wear something that bright? What I always found interesting with the black costume is one, it was it was Spider Man went to the to the black motif before black was in. You know, I mean nowadays, you know, that you know, especially with the movies, everything, you know, migrated to, to you know, black leather and everything. So this was, you know, black before black was in, number one. And two, you wouldn't think that a guy in a black and white costume, they could do art-wise so much with it. And, you know, all the stuff we just talked about, the negative space, you know, showing the white, the way they, they, they you know, the coloring with the blue and the black, you know, to show shading and stuff like that. It, it always amazed me how dynamic they could get, especially when they, you know, big splash pages and stuff like that, that they could show that, you know, black costume, you know, and how it could look and what it could do. The coloring is really great. I think Russ. I think Russ had mentioned it earlier, but the coloring in this book is really pretty awesome. Yeah, I looked at my. I compared the issues to to the hardcover here just to see if they had tweaked the color a lot, and they really didn't. They might have softened like some skin tones here and there, but it's pretty colorful 
to begin with, as far as I remember. Go back to the black suit. I always thought it was weird that Superman's hair was blue. When I was a kid, I was like, well, Superman's got black hair, but how come how come it looks blue? You know, and that was always the highlight that they mm-hmm. would put on, on black on black um costumes. And I remember, you know, seeing the the first time I I saw a black Spider Man action figure of some kind, the whole thing was black and I actually expected it to be kinda blue. Um which which I thought was odd. Having said that, in the most current release of Marvel Legends, there is a black costume Spider-Man that is ever so subtly highlighted with blue paint. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Craven puts a beating on some of these guys again, huh? Yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting. That you know, here you know, Craven, his whole deal is to become the Spider, you know, to to embrace you know his enemy, and you know, here we start off issue three with him doing just that he's going out and you know fighting crime as spider-man would would do making names <clears throat> he's no holes barred and at this point he actually kills somebody and they'll, they'll confirm that in a few pages but he uh he's getting so into it he's he took a life at this point did, did anyone else get the feeling when when reading these pages that he's almost doing it better like just that instant where you say, "Man, if if Spider-Man would just kick butt like this, you know, maybe some of these criminals wouldn't get away." Or you know, it's almost like Craven's doing a better job. And there's that old gag of like the doppelganger. You know, he'll get the girl that the real hero could never get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, like, I think they've I think yeah. they've done it on like Smallville and stuff. Like Clark won't be Clark, and whoever replaced him will get the girl or will get the job done. And, and again, then when, he'll always go take that step that the the doppelganger will always take that extra step that our hero won't take. Like, exactly. He's, he's being he's not holding back. You know, Spider Man when he's dealing with the average criminal, he's pulling his punches. He's not using his full strength. You know, but here, Graven, he's giving them all he's got. Right, and that's for me was what made him not Spider-Man because to be a for me when I was thinking when I saw that type of thing with him breaking necks and killing people, I felt that that's not what Spider-Man's about, and that's not a real hero. I think that was the intent. Exactly. The closest, on a side thought, the closest Spider-Man's ever come to being this violent, in my opinion, is the. Most recent time he went back to the black costume, the back in black. Yeah. yeah. When he beat the holy crap out of the kingpin. Yeah. And even then, he didn't do it as Spider-Man. He did it as Peter. Yeah. He He knew because Spider-Man means something more, and that's exactly the language he used, too. Yep. That was was one of my most favorite Spider-Man issues in years was was when he took the kingpin out, but he took that Spider-Man mask off. Because he, he, he realizes that Spider-Man is something special, and obviously Craven is not representing it well here. And then it's funny, a couple, you know, after, like you said, they confirmed that one guy's dead. This one ain't going to any hospital, Lieutenant. He's dead. That next page, Craven pulls the mask off, and he, he screams, I am Craven. Out of all, after all this time of trying to prove he's better, and Spider-Man telling him, I am the spider. He's, he has to remind himself he's craven. One thing I've, I've noticed, I'm just realizing it again here, is it pretty much raining this entire storyline? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it adds to that dreary feeling. Yep. I mean, we've all had times when it we seem like it's been raining for a month. Mm-hmm. Going, when the heck is this rain going to stop? This story wouldn't be the same if it was sunny outside. Oh, no. And the only time it's not raining is at the very end when uh, when Spider-Man emerges with, with Vermin. Yeah, in fact, I won't spoil it. Well, we'll talk about it later, but the last couple of pages, the sun's coming up and it's not raining. So Vermin's up to no good in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yum. I've never really read anything else with Vermin in it. I just... I can see his point in, in this book and the importance of him, but he's just not, to me, a very interesting character. I, 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 that's one of the part of the books. Yeah. I think Craven's such a m- much more interesting character than him, and I found myself, uh, my eyes kind of glazing ever when I get to the parts with him. Yeah, I think this his role could have been, well, he really couldn't have been anybody. This was He was unique in that, as you said right before, he, he was taken down by, by both Captain America and Spider-Man. Uh, but th- but that is really his only purpose here. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've read anything with him beyond this story. I don't know that he's ever appeared since then. I thought he... M- was he in Maximum Carnage? Mm, I don't remember. I don't believe so. I don't, I don't think he was. He could have been, but I, I don't remember him being in that. I mean, of course, at the end of this book, they he's in custody. Yes, they take him away. Right. So, who knows? I believe the even the... Um, the uh, Marvel Encyclopedia, the big, thick, oversized thing from DK. Uh, That's what's just picking up. <laughs> I read his entry, and I don't. I it, it did. It wasn't very conclusive as to like he was last seen at blah blah blah. According to Comic Book DB, there's a good 19 references, you know, appearances to him. Now three of them are handbooks, so we'll discount those. So 16 or so references, including New Avengers. I don't remember him where he is in New Avengers. He may he may have actually been in the vault that when they were broken out. Yeah, you know that's probably exactly it. I think yeah. that's where it was. Yeah. So I guess he's out and about now. Actually, the first one there's Avengers Death Trap the vault. That's you know, so it could be. So yeah, we might see him again if he has been broken that's out. A big breakout. Yep. Yeah, it looks like in the Marvel Encyclopedia, they actually the last thing they reference him in is the fight between Captain America and Spider Man and him. So they don't even talk about. Uh, in the encyclopedia about Craven's last time. Yeah, here you go. Over with New Avengers, he was in annual number two and then number 35, The Trust Part 4. And if I remember, The Trust... Was, is that the group of villains? Yeah, it is. Yeah. He was in with the group of villains, with the... with the... The Hood. The Hood, yeah. Wow, I must have just blown right over that because I don't remember seeing that. I'll have he to... was probably more background than anything because I don't think he didn't have. I don't remember a f- big role with that, but it's very, very infrequent you see him though. I mean, in twenty years oh. since the storyline, to only see nineteen references to him, that that's not a lot. Yeah, he's not. He's not a big, big player. After Vermin gets friendly with the lady police officer, we cut to. Um... Joe Robertson's place, and uh, Mary Jane comes over, and she you know she's like, "Why did I come here? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I just I can't tell him. I want to talk to him about Peter, but this at the time, and it was even referenced in the the very first Spider-Man movie. Um, 
Maybe it was the second movie. I can't remember. But um, at the time in the Spider-Man books, they were playing with the idea that perhaps Joe Robertson knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Right. I was going to ask. Yeah. Is, I was going to ask: Is is Joe? Is, is he Peter's Commissioner Gordon that he knows, but it doesn't have to be said? Well, we as a reader have never been told. It's never been confirmed that Joe knew that Peter and Spider-Man were the same. But here on the, in that last in the, on that last page of the meeting, he's, she's like, even if he does know, I can't tell him. So she's she, even she's thinking. That there's Joe knows something that he's never told anybody about that he's never admitted, and like I said in those in the movies, there's every once in a while Joe will give Peter a look, you know, like right. I know you're I know you're really who I know who you are for real, but yeah. I'm not going to say anything. So. Well, he's always kind of the the balance to Jay Jonah, you know. Jay Jonah's you know on a mission to defame and destroy. Spider-Man, and and he's always kind of the the voice of reason, you know, against that, or or kind of brings him back to center on, you know, maybe Spider-Man's not such a bad guy after all. Right? Maybe you remember this. I didn't pay attention much to to Joe. I was more focused on on Jonah at the time. But do you remember what what Robinson's uh, Joe Robinson's reaction was to the unmasking? Like, did he show any kind of, you know, well, I already knew or anything like that? Uh, if, if memory serves, you really, he really didn't react one way or the other. Okay. I think it's interesting really? to point out in this book also that, uh, as major of a character as J. Jonah Jameson is, he's not a, in these six issues at all, as far as I can recall. He's not, uh, yeah, I don't think he is. This is the only reference to the Daily Bugle at all, I think, is, is, uh, is this scene. Because you have a coupon to Waterburger doesn't mean you have to go spend it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got it. That, that's a limited audience that's going to get that joke, Brad. Okay, um, Taco Bell. <laughs> that? Yeah, I, I got the reference though. White Castle. <laughs> nice. Now, who who else read this as it was coming out? Just me and Ken. I think so. I think yeah. So yeah. Now, Ken, as a you were a teenager, right? Aren't you just a year or two younger than I am? Yeah, about that. So. Was it just me, or were you also weirded out at the fact of a naked man walking around in a Spider-Man comic book? Even though his his junk was covered in shadow, yep. I was, was weirded out by that. I, I can't say I was weirded out by it. I, I definitely acknowledged its presence and felt it was out of place, for lack of a better phrase, but um, I don't think it ever affected me one way or the other. But it certainly was, was obvious and certainly... I uh, was was uh, surprised by it, but of I course that was the very first image we were we were given in back in issue one of the, or in part one. Because another one of the reasons why I thought, okay, this is going to be different. I think it's right for the character, though. It would it very much is? Yeah, very much is. I still think I, I get what you're saying about that. Not even you know I'm 26 and reading this last year for the first time. It still feels kind of weird for a Spider-Man comic, which I think of even now as a more all-ages book. And definitely back then, I would have thought of it that way. Well, I'm, I'm reading this now again, and I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, and maybe you guys can who are reading it for the first time, 
this really holds up well. I mean, this this could fit in right very well, I think, if it came out right now. But I wonder how much of that is because of all the the darkness that's been in Spider-Man's life for the the last two years or so. Yeah, that's what I was um, just. Uh, I was going to say this later on, but um, that's made me think with how well it does hold up. This would be a great way to, where a uh, great place to go for the movies. Uh, for a good story. That's always been, every time they talk about the next one, everybody wants to see this one made. Uh, going on with this next sequence with with Craven as he's torturing this this rat, um, it makes it a little bit clearer to me what he was doing back in part one with uh, with the spiders. Whatever he's doing with this rat, how he's torturing, he, he's, he's building a connection with Vermin because Vermin's reacting to what's going on to, to this rat, just like, remember, Peter being restless in his sleep while... Craven was um, being immersed in, in the spiders and actually consuming the spiders. Um, there is definitely some sort of psychic, if you will, connection between Craven and his prey. It's not just him psyching himself up; he's actually impacting what he's hunting. Yeah, it looks like he's you know dodging the blade in those in the middle of the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is well, that something does... that we see before with Craven and? Uh, in... In previous storylines before this one, I can't remember anything that I've read in the past with Craven really besides this, and and I just was wondering if that was like part of his character that's always been there that that set up uh, to get ready to hunt the mind games type stuff. Right. I really think this is the first time we ever saw anything like that. I don't. I, I, before this story, I never cared about Craven at all. I thought he was a lame villain. Totally, completely lame. It's like, okay, he's a big game hunter, you know, but this story obviously gets inside his head. And we figure out what's going on. And uh, he's he's pretty scary in this book. And this might be a silly question. Vermin has some kind of control and connection with rats and stuff, right? Yes, he he can control rats. He was... We don't know who Vermin was. He was found by, I'm going to get the names wrong, Baron Zemo and mm. the other guy that was had a similar name and function. They were both Nazi scientists. Faustus, maybe? No. Barnum Zola? Yes, thank you. So, Zola. Yeah, okay. And um, they experimented on this guy and tweaked him until he turned out to be this, what he is now. And as a result of those experiments, he can communicate and control rats okay so then i was just trying to make a connection to him dodging the knife you know so so craven's playing around with a knife with a rat and vermin can feel it also maybe that connection is not so much between craven and vermin as is vermin and the rat that's what i'm thinking yeah it, would, it wouldn't surprise me at all and that, and I never actually thought of that but um yeah it definitely does I, I immediately thought back to the scene with Peter as I just mentioned earlier I can totally I can totally go with that in fact that that makes that scene much more interesting for me that's how I roll <laughs> so and, and that's also the page that's also the page and the point of the story where where uh, Craven realizes this is the final test. This is what I have to do. I have to... This one last thing I have to do in order for me to truly, really, and truly be 
better than Spider-Man. You know, as, the interesting thing is, as we see Craven fight Vermin, and you know, knowing that Spider-Man couldn't take him down alone, he needed Cap's help, and now we see Craven fighting him, and and Vermin's kind of getting the you know gets the best of him a few times. You know, scratches him up pretty good, roughs him up, and uh, roughs him up pretty good. It's interesting that you know Ver- you think of Vermin, you know, a he hasn't shown up very much. He's almost kind of like this B-rate, C-rate villain, but yet he's managed to best, you know, one, you know, one of the premier heroes in in the Marvel universe, and then you know, and then doing the same with Craven. So I, I thought it was interesting that you know here they take this nondescript uh, villain and um, you know turn him into something that you know is pretty formidable. That's kind of what I was going to get at, but I was going to go with more. You see, at the first, the beginning of the fight, uh, Craven's trying to stick somewhat what he can to the same uh, fighting style as what Peter Parker has with the swinging around and kicking and more of the acrobatic type fights. And the only he only gets really at him once he switches his fighting style and goes for what I can only really describe as like a Greco-Roman wrestling type grasping and close contact which is definitely not the way that you typically see yeah. Spider-Man fighting. I like how Venom, or God, Vermin changes. Uh, his, his, he's scared, he's cowering, and he's scared of Spider-Man. And then he realizes, wait a minute, you weren't alone then. And it's just like a switch goes off, and he's like, you're alone now. Now I can take you. And yeah, that, that look on his face is pretty awesome. Yeah. And Craven does take a I love him pulling him out of that uh, sewer on the next page, and the drunks stand there like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> well, before that, as we see him standing over the now unconscious vermin, we've got, again, our grave scene, and you know the spires have been, over the last several pages, been converging on the on the grave site, but now we're starting to see the, the soil being disturbed from underneath. So we know what's coming on our next page. Yeah, that last panel on that last page. Yep. Oh, I get goosebumps right now looking at it. And 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 in that panel, there's the only only two words, Mary Jane. You know that that's what's pulling him out of there. You, you, the book, the, this this book is got is done now, but you already know that what's bringing Peter back. It's at that it. point when when you see that last panel, you just go, "I knew it! I knew yeah. he was dead." Now, how did it happen? And that would bring us part four. That cover part four. Is my favorite. But. Yeah, that's the best out of uh, out of the whole series. Of all the co- they're great covers for all of them, but that one's just so iconic. Now keep in mind, we just went two complete issues, two complete books, and we had, and Peter Parker wasn't in either, in either of them. Yeah, and then I don't know if you get for those of you guys that have the hardcover, the last page of the hardcover that they show is kind of a re, I guess it's a recolored version of that cover. And it just, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's got Absolutely. a lot of red and, and browns and, and everything to it. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. They actually used that as the cover to the trade paperback of this collection. Uh, Which one, the Part 4 cover? No, sir. Um, what you don't have in, in our right. newest, in newest hardcover. Right. Oh, yeah, there is a redone version of the cover to Part 4, recolored. By Richard Isenov. Mm-hmm. It's used as the cover to the trade paperback of right. this collection. 
And then here, you know, obviously here's Peter in his wherever he is. And Ned shows up, you know, we so we get a reference to Ned. And it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't long after the death of Ned Leeds also. No, this was, you know, a couple months, so like three issues at most. It wasn't very long. This um, this whole beginning sequence, it always, I don't know, I I, I tend to, to kind of skip over it until that splash page of, of Peter actually crawling out of the grave. I, I, I don't know why, and I, I can't explain it, but it, I just, it's almost like this is the part of the book that sags for me, that slows down. It's kind of, it's a lot of repetitive stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you really try to get. They're trying to give you a sense of what Peter's been doing or what's been going through his mind, his sub, his subconscious mind for these two weeks where he's his body's in basically a state mimicking death. But I mean, these what five pages or six pages, however long it is. Um, yeah, it's it's basically a lot of metaphors, but it reminded me of. Um, of the other, actually. Not so much in the literal sense that the other was, of this, you know, going to cocoon and being reborn, but more of a, a, of a metaphorical sense that, you know, he, he died and he's now being reborn, you know, stronger than ever. Yep. Except they, you know, they took that to the literal interpretation in the other. Oh, well, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Something interesting about, probably my favorite thing of this particular issue is the occasional frame, the occasional panel we see of Craven in the Spider-Man mask. Mm. And each time we see it, you see just a little bit more of Craven's face, as, like he's pulling the mask off slowly, ever so slowly. I'm, I'm reading that. I'm seeing that as well. I'm thinking the the more we see, the more lucid Peter's becoming. So he's almost like, it's as Peter's realizing what happened. He's remembering what happened. He's finally, basically the drugs are wearing off and he's coming to a sense as to what was going on. And, and the more he does, the more he remembers who did this to him. I always thought that was cool. Just that occasional panel. And that, of course, the splash page when he, when he finally climbs out, you know, it's it's supposed to make you think of the cover. You know, they're very similar type sure. of deals. But I, I just, you could just tell he's trying so hard to get out of that ground. And then he gets up and tries to walk and falls right over. Yeah. I remember feeling so relieved at this point. Reading this for the first time thinking, okay, Spider-Man's okay. We're going to get back to business. Okay, now, you know, I'm ready for the next part of this i was i was excited when i read this i was excited because okay yeah. spider-man's back you know he's 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 gonna deal with this now and i was actually you know once he he did what he had to do here at the house that you know he, i was thrilled that his first thing to do was to go was to go home you know go back to mary jane get get to her make sure she's okay make sure she knows he's okay I think that's something you lose out on uh, reading it. Like for me, 20 years after it happened, I can see where when uh, you both read it for the first time, when it was coming out, it's like thinking, you know, is this the end of Spider-Man? And yeah, 
you kind of get hints that he's coming back, but just reading issue to issue would be just a totally different experience, I think. Another thing you guys don't get that Ken and I experienced was the actual feeling the actual two week period that Peter was in the ground. Yeah. You know, we it took yeah, us true. two weeks before we saw him again. Right. And I remember thinking, you know, when he sees that, that newspaper and figures he's been down there for two weeks, he and he's understandably upset about it. You know, it's like Ken and I actually felt that along with him. Yeah, you get a different perspective when yeah. you read it, you know, all in one sitting or you know, two sittings. But it is, it is a pretty, you know, a pretty good, you know, the, the way they did that and, and had it, you know, be where he was in the ground for an extended period of time. This wasn't, you know, up in, up until this point, you didn't really know how long he was gone. You know, I, I think, I mean, you guys tell me when you're reading it at the time. I mean, did you think it was just a day, maybe two days at the most? Um or did you or did you get the sense in reading it he he'd been in there a while? I really don't think I really thought about it until he actually says two weeks, and then I thought, wow, it sure does feel like it's been two weeks. Yep. You know, because at the time it was. I, I was shocked even reading it straight through in the trade that that it was that long. You know, it, it, it's a nice effect when he when he's so shocked that it's been two weeks. Can you imagine being buried for two weeks unconscious? I mean, how, I, I've, I have a how real problem with being buried alive. It's like one of the things that bugs mm-hmm. me out, the thought of it. How, how frightful is that, even thinking about it? You know, it's this issue reflects the... There's another example of symmetry. It, it reflects the first issue um, where he's going through the trophy room, tearing mm-hmm. up these animals... And here he's using that to take out his his aggravation, his his frustration with what happened. He doesn't know how to deal with it at this point. So all he can do is just attack. And then and then the the, the guards or whoever I guess Craven's attendants or whatever they are, you know, they see him flipping out at him. I'm I'm sure their first reaction is that it's Craven and not you know Peter. And they think you know he's gone berserk and he's come after them and you know. They, He's going to kill. He's going to kill them. Like Peter still didn't lose who he is, though. I mean, he's looking. He's, he he wants to tear them apart, but as he even admits, it's a very small part. They're not. They're not the people he needs to get to. He needs to get to Craven. I think he knows exactly. I think they know exactly who it is, though, just by how what they say. Uh, That's true. Because one of them says, "You were right. It is him." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a, a difference in their look at him. He's weak. He can hardly. Yeah. There's also a difference in their build. I mean, you can see the way Craven's drawn in the costume compared to Spider-Man. Um, he's definitely bigger, broader in the shoulders. There's a clear difference between the two. So, Another thing Zach did so well in this, when when you see one of them in the black costume, you can just tell by looking who it is. If somebody was to put a random panel in front of you, you could just tell. Because Craven's got that yield sign for a for a upper torso. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just tell. Very well done on his part. It's funny on um, on ninety one. You know, they're they're showing um, vermin in the cage, and the the uh, the thinking balloons. They're not balloons. They're boxes. The thought boxes um, are Spider Man's thoughts. But in that second panel on the top, 
Vermin's eyes are like exactly shaped like Spider-Man's. Yeah, even though they're red. Yeah. Yeah. I never noticed that before. So you're getting that symmetry, you know, again. I love how uh, Peter's revealed to be with back with Mary Jane, just the web, grabbing the the radio or the phone, whatever that she's holding there. Remote control, and he just hits the whip, or hits the web, and, and he's there, and takes his mask off, and she, everybody's just so relieved to be together again. I remember re- reading this page for the first time, thinking, oh, look, they're going to take a nap. <laughs> not nice I bet he just wants to sleep they're just going to take a nap and then what's also cool is that on the next page when he's talking to Mary Jane he hardly has any voice mm-hmm. they've you know they've put the dotted lines around his word balloons yeah. and, he, and his words are smaller than that filling the, the balloon up but at least they acknowledge he does acknowledge there that uh, you know the vocal cords you know will he'll heal soon enough you know because the next issue, he doesn't speak like that anymore. The next page, he doesn't speak like that. When he's about to swing out the window, he says, I'm going. Yeah, he's clearly they're starting to get better. In fact, even the balloons themselves seem to be less dotted as it goes through. That's a touching scene to me, being the emotional guy that I am. When he's leaving and she grabs him and he puts her hand to his face. I know John wouldn't understand anything about that. Nope. <laughs> I, I understand perfectly. You're a wuss. <laughs> hey, I'll be the first to admit that I am. He's Giant's a New Yorker. He's just too hard to care. Such a great next couple of pages when Spider-Man's following his spider sense. He locates where Craven is, and Craven's smiling, and then as, as Spider-Man lowers himself into the frame, his smile goes away. He's here. That's a great page. Now, Russ, as a as a fireman, would you suggest having that big flame in the room? Uh, I would not. <laughs> I would not. Not advisable. Come on, live dangerously, Russ. Although it is raining outside, so um, in the event of fire, it would be easier to fight. Maybe that's a hologram. Maybe it's just a holographic uh, flame. <laughs> Part five, thunder. I liked how all these books were. One word. Yep. You know, appropriate titles and you're very descriptive of what's happening in each, in each one. Like the thunder. This is this is the one where it's all coming to a head. Okay. This is where, of course, thunder earlier is probably mostly refers to the uh, the last couple scenes with uh, with Craven by himself. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he keeps you know, the, especially in this issue. But you know, it starts off with they said my mother was insane. And so it keeps it keeps going through that whole, you know, thing where he he keeps repeating that they kept saying his mother was insane. There's that same. It's done a little differently, obviously, but the same sequence where Spider-Man lowers himself into the frame. Yeah, it's the same same room. Just to bring us back to that last last page in the previous issue. And almost civil here, Craven, Spider-Man. Doctor? Yeah, I was just playing that in my head. Hello, Newman. <laughs> yeah, really. Newman. This is where Craven tells us the whole reason, the whole point of this. Hit me again if you like Spider-Man. Hit me a hundred times. There's no reason to fight. Don't you see? I finally won. 
I only allowed you to live so that you could know that I killed you. That I proved myself in all ways your superior. His life is over at this point. He's done everything he needs to. He, he's exactly he's con- he can be content now he's achieved what he needs to achieve and he's fine to go back to his craven you know uh, garb his his skins he can be himself again he can be craven the hunter he can be craven of the man so did you going kind of back to the beginning of this issue a little bit where he uh, he has his little monologue about his family history so did you guys think it is like his family was part of the aristocracy before the the communist takeover. Yeah, and yeah, that, you know, and being being seventy years old, where we're thinking he was um, in nineteen eighty seven. That's that that's exactly where he. I believe he would would have been. Yeah, that you know, basically they they were kicked. You know, they they fled Russia after the after the communist took over and came to America and basically lived in poverty and. It's almost like he blames his 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 father. You know, his mother had to, you know, or his mother basically went insane, or you know, you know that that she kind of spiraled downward, and his father and his father just kind of let it happen. So I guess we get Craven letting Vermin out to go at it with Spider Man. Do you uh, when you all read this book? Do you find yourself? Hating Craven or feeling kind of indifferent? Very fascinated by him. Like I said earlier, I never gave two snots about him. But this is the first Craven story that I've ever read where he was interesting to me. I, it's almost I, like I'm watching a person fall apart mentally. I don't feel like he's really trying to hurt Spider-Man more than, I mean, obviously we're talked about a lot that he's, he's trying to, you know, show that he's just as good, but you know, he could have, if he was just trying to hurt Spider-Man, he could have just shot him in the beam. Exactly. And as you even said, he's like, he's like, I could have killed you had I wanted to. He just wanted to prove he was the best. And he doesn't, he didn't feel any ill will towards Spider-Man. He, other than the fact that he, he was a, he wasn't he was beaten by him. He just needed to prove he was the better man, and not just prove it to himself. He needed to prove it to Spider-Man, which is why he allowed him to live. He doesn't, you know, on page one ten in the hardcover, uh, after he's kind of shown, you know, Spider-Man, you know, around his little area, and he he even touches Spider-Man's chin. Mm-hmm. He shows affection, and he. He even says, does my affection embarrass you? It's like he respects Spider-Man, but he just had to be better than him. He's the, he's the only creature being that he's not better than in his mind. I understand that it's probably better storytelling this way, but I did kind of feel shortchanged that you never get to see Spider-Man and Craven go at it. Well... We had seen that several times yeah. previous to this. This was something new. And and Spider-Man was ready to go for it. He started throwing punches the first thing he did, but Craven was just happy to take it because yep. his, his, his needs had been met. I think the impact of the book would have been lessened if, if it ended in a brawl. Yeah, and, here, and then we're approaching that 
that fight between Spider-Man and Vermin, like someone mentioned earlier, and we see it's intercut with the shots of the rat and the spider. Right. And then you also, at the end of the fight, there's another, I mean, he's not trying to kill Spider-Man. He ends up saving his life, lets him go. It helps him, helps him up the stairs. You almost find there's a, as this ends, there's almost a, a mutual respect. Not that Spider-Man's still not going to want to take him down, want to, want to bring him to justice, because he's only leaving because he needs to go take care of Vermin before he causes any more damage. But there's a, you know, even he says, he asks him, Craven, I don't understand. He, Peter still doesn't understand what, what's happened or why Craven's doing any of this. And, and I don't believe we ever see Peter's reaction to Craven's ultimate death, do we? No. When I hear about this book, uh, this is next two pages with Craven killing himself. This is what I always hear about, and how uh, how important this is to Spider-Man lore. And and I'm really shocked that none of us have actually said anything about it yet. We definitely couldn't have done that if you Mac was here tonight. But uh, just how how this would have I knew about it before I read the story that it was going to happen at some point in the book but how shocking that would have been at that time well I agree and, and this this brings me to the problem that I have with the series that I've mentioned a few times I mean this should have been the end and I have to imagine that the sixth issue was a total letdown and I didn't need to see Spider-Man chase Vermin down after Craven put a shotgun on his mouth. I mean, if they would have even just cut this differently, have Spider-Man chasing Vermin around, and then end with Craven pulling the trigger, that would have even been better. No, I think they want they 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 need, felt the need to, you know, well, they, like the 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 one crook that uh, Craven killed. Posing Spider-Man, they needed to clear that up so that people knew it wasn't Spider-Man who did that. You know, they 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 needed to show Craven's body being found, the note that he he left. Um, I see your point about you know the vermin fight. That that seems like an odd that, way to end it. That and, and I agree about the note, and that could have been like a prologue after the shot of you know the the old picture with the blood running down with the boy Craven. You know, then the prologue could be that he left a note or whatever. I just the sixth issue seems almost pointless to me. I I well, took it as you know, Craven. In order for Craven to prove he he was better than Spider Man, he had to do something Spider Man hadn't done, which was stop Vermin by himself, which is what he did. So then, knowing that, I see this as okay, Spider Man proving that no, he he. He could do it. You know, he, he could take Vermin on his own. And so, you know, issue six is him proving back, you know, I guess after Craven's dead, and it, it, you know, to prove this to Peter himself that, you know, he could do it, that Craven, you know, didn't necessarily get the better of him by taking Vermin down alone. Exactly. Right. That's why this, yeah. that's why this, this, this last issue works for me. I, I see it, that point. It puts Spider-Man it, back on top. Yeah, and it wraps up. You know, we actually do get confirmation that Craven actually is dead now. 
We see his burial. We see his 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 tomb. And interestingly enough, to me, Craven has never come back. Well, I say that, but I mean he's he's still dead. Yeah. The Craven the Hunter is still dead. I don't know if you guys know, but there was a sequel to this. You guys, you guys aware of that? I know there's something McFarlane did in his Spider-Man series. Is that what you're referring well, to? No, sir. I'm talking about a, a 48-page one-shot called Soul of the Hunter. Uh, Craven's ghost comes back to uh, ha- haunt is not the right word. To um, he makes contact with Spider-Man. And uh, Spider-Man goes to Craven's grave, where there's another being there, which could be con- could be taken that it's like death personified. Uh, death tells Spider-Man that he and Craven have a bond, and that because Craven committed suicide, Craven's soul cannot find peace, and so Spider-Man is the only one. Because they have that bond, Spider-Man is the only one that can actually forgive Craven. And once Spider-Man forgives Craven for doing what he did, then Craven's soul can be freed and uh, is allowed to find its final rest. Um, obviously, the story was, and it was written in '92, published in '92. So, you know, it was a few years later. Um, Obviously, it was just made to capitalize on the Craven the Hunter storyline. And it wasn't that great, but it was the same team, the DeMatteis, Zach, and McLeod. Um, it looked just as pretty, in my opinion, but it uh, it was almost an unnecessary story. I think they were just trying to cash in on the, on the success of this one. Now, one thing I hear a lot about this story is that this the fact that Craven would commit suicide was out of character. Craven wouldn't do that. Um, I don't know about you guys, but as I'm reading this, I'm like, no, I, I, I buy into this. You know, he will, he's ended it on his own, his own, his terms. Uh, he knows time's up. I don't know what you guys uh, felt about that or how, how you feel. I totally, I totally think it's in character also. Well, it's, I guess, it's, it's kind of the, the old dog, you know, he's, he wants to go out on top. He wants to go out at the best of his game. He, you know, he's a hunter and he's a very physical guy. You know, he's he's not one that wants to end up, you know, old and decrepit and, you know, being pushed around in a wheelchair in his final days. I mean, he wants to know that he was the best of the best and he went out on top and when he did everything that he felt he needed to do, his time was up. I guess I don't know enough about him to make a statement on that either way. Do you notice that the, the coffin he ends up, he, he shoots himself next to is the, is Peter's coffin? You can see the damage lid that he busted through. Right. You know, I looked at that, and then I looked at the right above the scene where he's, you see the damage, the damage lid, and it's you see the grave site, and it's barely disturbed. So at first I was questioning if that was the same one, but I'm thinking it is, in fact, the same the same coffin. It most most likely is. Oh, I see it now that you brought it up. Yeah. That's pretty good observation. That um. Looking at the at part six, right at the beginning there, that um, it's one twenty five on the hardcover, but that splash page where he's where Spider Man's coming across, you know, coming through the tunnel, 
you know, crawling. Yeah. It's just an awesome page. Again, it's it's where we get to see where, you know, he's in a in a you know in an all black costume, but yet they're able to do so much with the shading and the and the lighting and the color and everything. It just makes it so dynamic. And of course, again in number six, we get back to the grave digger, which is mm-hmm. which um we did not see in issue five at all. No, we didn't. We went through it, but there he is. He's obviously preparing a a grave for Craven. And then, you know, at the end, on those last two pages, the sun's out. Actually, when 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 uh, Vermin climbs up out of the sewer into the street, it's stopped raining. We see the sun rise. It's a brand new day. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you did. Okay, I think, now that I think this is a good time. Yeah, I think it's a good time to yep. reopen that wound. All right. So, in my opinion... Joe Q can never take what this story means to me out of my brain. But I think because of what he did, this never happened. The The whole key to this, the emotional part of this book, is the fact that he was married and newly married. He wanted so much to get back to his new bride. You know, and Joe Q can tell me all day, oh, it'd be the same as if they were just dating. Nah, it wouldn't. Not in my opinion. I'm curious. I'm waiting to see sometime next year, whenever it happens, uh, Spider-Man number 600. Supposedly that's going to explain what happened, actually happened on the wedding day in this new, brand new day world that they end up not being married. Because that's going to be the key for me as to how this story would have played out. Because as we're reading it, we're seeing there's still tension between, there's still cold between each other, Mary Jane and Peter. If they still have a relationship to the effect where, you know, they still love each other, just didn't get married, they're still, you know, together, that's one thing. But if they're not together and they're, they're cold and they're just not in each other's lives like that, like that then I'd have a harder time buying it. Um, I will say that brand having Brand New Day in front of us didn't, change my reading of the story I read it just as it's written with them married it didn't matter to me what whatever Joey Q wanted to do now I still read the, story, the same story I read in 1987 that's the story I read without any impact of what happened in the last two years as anybody who listens to my show knows I've stopped buying Amazing Spider-Man as painful as it is for me I kind of I can deal with this story because I ignore everything else that's happened. I don't know if that makes any sense. What I just said. No, it does. It, it does. Makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, I couldn't. I could not. Could not. Not buy it. I, I'm. I'm. I'm still buying it. I'm still enjoying. It. I'm still reading it. I'm behind. I have them all, but I'm behind on it. They come out too quick for me to keep up with it. At three three times a month. I just wanted to clear up one thing earlier. I said, um, even though Craven has um is dead and has never come back there has been one or two other craven the hunters and they were uh craven's sons they actually just introduced uh, his daughter as well oh yeah 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 they did a storyline of uh called craven's first hunt and you've not to spoil anybody but i'm going to do it anyway we find out that 
uh, towards the end of that storyline that, that this woman is, is supposed to be Craven's daughter. Now, how, yeah. how her parentage actually comes across, they don't really go into, but I just, she's been introduced and I haven't seen her back yet, but again, I'm behind. I'm just waiting to see how far along they'll, they'll take it before it all gets, it gets undone. I, I, I honestly don't see the whole, I know we're getting a little off topic from Craven last, last time, but I don't, I don't see how this whole brand new day stuff sticks. I think five years from now we're going to look back and go, yeah, that was a blip on the radar. I, I think number 600 is going to be the beginning of the end. That's where they're going to start to, whatever happens is going to start to unravel. Uh, I think they're going to use that as a kickoff point to get us back to where we were before brand new day. Well, I sure hope so because I'd like to be buying amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it would. This has been, oh, I was going to try to throw out a Spock quote. This has been and always shall be my favorite Spider-Man story. Yeah, this, Like I said, this, is a, this holds a special place for me, not only because of Spider-Man, because it's one of my first ones. And uh, I, I just, it was really, really dark, and not really, really, really dark, but it was, it was definitely a darker tone than Spider-Man I knew. And it just... Uh, Really, uh, really affected me. I like, I enjoy, just thoroughly enjoyed it. I guess because it's something completely different from what I have been reading. Anybody else? Final thoughts on this on Craven's Last Hunt? Just uh, reading it again uh, today, like I said, uh, and talking with you all about it. I really do have a, a new appreciation for this book, and I really enjoy it quite a bit as well. Uh, before reading it today, I I was uh, ready to come in tear up how boring I thought it was but uh, I don't know why I even thought that maybe it was I, don't, I think I mentioned I read it over a, a long long period of time just here and like a couple pages here a couple pages there and that definitely I think took away from my appreciation of the story I think to me this is like I said it's my favorite but it's also a clear example of of his dedication to doing what's right you know, and taking care of his loved ones and just his, the the willpower he has. I mean, it's the kind of person I want to be. I think it holds up well. I, I think it holds up a lot better than I thought it would. You know, I know sometimes our perceptions of, of how good things were back in the, in the mid, early, you know, late 80s, um, you know, our, our perception of how good the stories were, after you go back and read them, sometimes they, they don't hold up so well. And I didn't read this back then, but I read a lot of, you know, Marvel in that time period, in and around that time period. So, you know, the fact that this, in my opinion, held up so well, I think speaks volumes. And, and that it was a well-written, you know, well-drawn, well-colored. I mean, it was just, it was a nice book and that you got, you know, six issues over two months, you know, that, that you know, had that consistency and, you know, I think that speaks volumes for what we see today. I, I don't think, I think if that book, if this book had come out now, with that kind of a schedule, I think we'd, I think we'd, we wouldn't see it. I think there'd be delays or fill-ins or, you know, you'd see that rushed look to the art. And I just, I didn't see any of that in looking at this, at this book. Going along with what you said, I, this, this book does not feel 80s to me. It's got a it's got a timeless feel that it could it could happen any time any day. I, I was thinking yeah. that when I was reading it, there's there's nothing in this that that dates it to me in any way at all. It, it's very self-contained, you know. Too, you know, they, you don't 
I mean, this is something somebody that has read either very little Spider-Man or no Spider-Man could pick up and just and take off with and not need to know tons and tons of backstory or, you know, what happened before. It's, it's very self, you know, very self-contained. Yeah. When, when Adam Umack says that there's no such thing as a new reader friendly, well, I give them this, this, this is definitely like, as you say, new reader friendly, anybody can pick this up and read it. You're absolutely correct. This book would not have been the same if it had been published only in amazing Spider-Man. You know, the fact that it used all three titles, week after week after week for six weeks. I think it was a stroke of genius. Yeah, that that was pretty unique. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the X-Books did that with the whole Mutant Massacre thing, but it wasn't a direct, like one book didn't cross direct, you know, it wasn't one continuous story. I mean, it was it was one overall story that spanned several books um, in and around this time, but it wasn't... Um, it wasn't one story that, that continued across multiple titles. So, You know, we accuse a lot of books today of, in a bad way now, being just written for the trade. Like, they're in issues because they have to be, but they were really written to be read as a trade. Do you think this story, these six issues, were, were written that way? Maybe one of the earliest examples of something that was that was written for trade? No. I, I just think it it just turned out this way. I think it works well for trade, but from what you all are saying, how it came out, it seems like it worked really, really, really well as a monthly book. Really, or it really every was other a, week. It was really a weekly book. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, fellas, I need to run. All right. Well, I think we are done anyway. Just want to say is uh, thank you to uh, everyone who joined us. Thank you, Brad, for joining us for this special this episode. It was great having you in. Hey, I wouldn't have missed this story. I really appreciate being on here. No, we're, love, we're thrilled to have you. And anybody who's listening wants to uh, tell us their thoughts, come and see us at the Comic Forums at thecomicforums.com. Come down to uh, the Half Hour Wasted Boards there, our, our generous host. We thank them for that. And or send us an email to comments at legionofdudes.com. And I guess we will see you next week for Watchmen Chapter 7. See you later. Thanks very much, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.